Good morning, everybody. My name is Andrew, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the student pastors here at the Lewis Center campus. And I'm so honored just to have the chance to be with you this morning as we are in week three of our Exile series, where we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter three. Before we get too far, though, I will say that if you are a sixth through 12th grade student in the room, or maybe you're the parent of a student that hasn't gotten connected to LifePoint students yet, they're missing out. You're missing out. I want to show you some pictures on the screen behind me of just some of the fun stuff that we've had the opportunity to do this year. We meet in this room every Sunday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., or almost every Sunday night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. You don't have to register. You can just show up. And every time you're here, you can count on us for four things. We're gonna have fun together, which you can see in the picture. We're gonna have fun while trying not to break stuff in this beautiful building. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna have fun. Uh, we're gonna worship together, as you saw. We're gonna dive into God's word together. Right now, we're in the middle of a series where we're talking all about love and dating and relationships. It's just a bunch of fun. And then we're gonna spend time in our life groups together as well. So if your student is not yet connected, to LifePoint students, let's make it happen, all right? We gotta get them plugged in. I would love to have you come and come and join us. But maybe you're here this morning for the very first time. Like maybe you are our guest today. If that's you, we'd say, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, would love to turn your attention to the QR code that's on the seat in front of you. Take out your phone. You can scan that code and that will take you to message notes that we've made for today as a way to help you stay engaged, follow along throughout the service. You can even type in your own notes there as we go. And for everyone else, if you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, this is when you need them. This is a time when if you've got a Bible, Bible app on your phone, we'd love it if you take it out and open it up to Daniel chapter three. That's where we're gonna be this morning, Daniel chapter three. So earlier this year, my wife and I had the chance to celebrate our 10 year anniversary by taking this big uh, fun trip together. And it was a blast, we, we had a great time. But it was one of those trips for me, I'm sure you've had one just like this, right? Where there was so much going on in our lives at that point, with our family and kids and different work situations that it was hard for me uh, to be fully present in the moment at times on that trip, right? In the moments when I should be thinking like, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. What I'm thinking is when I get back to the real world, like how are we gonna solve this problem and what's gonna happen over here and over here and over here. So it was a great, it was a great week. We had a great time, but I was a little stressed. I was a little, got, had some things going on. So we get to the end of our week. We've been running around all week, so we're tired, and we take the last flight out. And, and one thing that you need to know about me, you can judge me if you want. I could be the only person here, but I do not love flying. I'm not a fan, right? So I do it because I have to, but I don't love it. There's something uh, unsettling for me about being 30,000 feet in the air, trapped in a metal tube with no parachute. I don't, I don't love it. So I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to be in the plane in the first place. Got all this stuff we're worried about. So you could say that I was a bit on edge, right? I was a bit on edge on this, this airplane. And so the pilot comes over the intercom and he says, ladies and gentlemen, we've almost reached our destination, but... It's always a, a pause there. <laughs> oh no, what's going to happen? Uh, but if you want to see a show, just open up the windows because we are now flying through the center of a lightning storm. And immediately I am terrified. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I am, 
I'm not okay at all. Everything just like, I, immediately I'm like, hey, could we not have taken a poll? Like, could we have not gone around it? This feels like a really casual way to tell us all that we're about to die, right? So I'm, 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 uh, I'm in my feels in the moment. I just, everything's going, going crazy. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, what in the world, what in the world do I do? How do I, how do I calm myself down? So I think, you know what I'll do? The only thing that came to mind in that moment was, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, right? Like, uh, by the way, I Googled, the first thing that I Googled when we got on the ground was, are planes safe to fly in lightning? Cause I was freaking out and turns out they are. So if you ever get in that situation, don't worry, I have saved you from the terror attack that I had cause I was losing it. So I just go, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray. That's what I'll do. I think we're about to die. You should probably pray right now. So I'm gonna pray. Maybe it makes me sound spiritual, but it shouldn't. It should be more uh, comical than anything. Here are the only three things, I give you my word, the only three things that I remember praying on that airplane. Here's the first one. I closed my eyes. I took a deep breath. I said, God, would you let our kids know that we love them? <laughs> I, was, I was convinced we were going down. All right, here's the, here's the second thing I prayed. I said, God, please don't let it hurt when we hit the ground, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm just, third thing I prayed, I said, God, would you just forgive me, right? Like I'm, I'm praying all the prayers that I can think of. Something's gotta work, right? Something's gotta stick. I'm just throwing it all out there in this moment. And all of a sudden, I just get hit with this incredible wave of peace, right? My, my heart rate calms. It's like I tune everything else out around me and I feel God so clearly speak to me in this moment, Andrew, trust me. Okay. Okay, God, I get it. Like, trust you. The plane is going to land. Like, I get it. Like, no, 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 no. Trust me with everything. And all of a sudden, <laughs> in the middle of the airplane, in the middle of my freak out moments, right? In the middle of the lightning storm, I am having a moment with God where I'm realizing that this whole time, the solution to all of my problems has been the exact same. Just need to do what I can and genuinely trust God with the rest, right? But as Christians, what do we mean when we use these words? We just sang them in this song. What, do we, what does it practically look like for us to have faith in God in any situation? What does that actually mean? How do we actually trust God? This morning, we're gonna look at Daniel chapter three, and we're gonna follow a story that so many of you, I'm sure, have heard, as King Nebuchadnezzar is gonna encounter Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And from this story, we're gonna learn what it looks like to have faith in any circumstance. Here's the, the backstory for Daniel chapter three. Last week, Pastor Dean walked us through Daniel chapter two, and in that chapter, we saw as King Nebuchadnezzar was having a bit of a, a recurring nightmare, if you will, right? He's having this dream and he doesn't know what it means and he's trying to figure it out. So he goes to Daniel and Daniel is able to interpret his dream. One of the key elements from that dream is this statue, this giant statue that represents the power of the kingdom. Well, we get to chapter three and we realize that of course, old King Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to any of Daniel's advice at all. And here's what he did. He just took the statue from his dream and he built it. He just said, oh, I don't forget everything else you said. What I heard was statue. And so he builds this giant statue. It's a gold plated statue that's 90 feet tall, which is about three times the height of this building. It is nine feet wide. It is the marvel of this entire region. 
So the setting of chapter three is that the construction of the statue has been complete. King Nebuchadnezzar begins to call everyone from the region in and he tells them you're gonna bow down and worship at the statue. When you bow down and worship at the statue, you're bowing down to the statue. You're bowing down to, in worship of King Nebuchadnezzar and you're also bowing down to the false gods of Babylon. So this is gonna set up a showdown between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's three friends. Let's pick up the story this morning in Daniel chapter three, verse five, and we'll walk through it from there. Here's what it says. That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So immediately here, right, we see the problem, right? King uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are being backed into a corner where they have to choose. Are they going to bow down to the false gods of Babylon, violating the first commandment that God gave to all of us, which is that we should have no other gods before him? Or are they gonna choose to stand and remain faithful to God, even though it may cost them their life? In the next few verses we see is they do just that. They decide they're gonna stand. And at first, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't notice at all. They kind of get away with it, which is cool. Except that their co-workers rat them out. Their co-workers, some of you are thinking about your co-workers right now. Don't do that, don't do that. Their co-workers go before the king and they say, hey, these guys that work in our office did not bow down to you. And they implore the king to burn them alive. They implore the king to throw them into the fiery furnace. So now we'll jump to verse 14, where we're gonna see is King Nebuchadnezzar is now face to face with these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what it says in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. Meaning, if you just bow down, give you one more chance, this will all go away. Everybody will be fine. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Big mistake incoming, you ready? And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> He's about to learn. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Right, so they are, they are brought before the king. And when they are in front of the king, he says, guys, listen, I kind of threw a party. It's kind of a big deal. And I would love not to smell your flesh today. So if you could just bow down, this will all be over and everything will be fine. If you, if you would just, just bow down to me and they say, no, we will not bow down to you, right? We will, we will not do this, right? Their resolve, as Dean talked about back in chapter one, is to remain faithful to God. That's what they're gonna do. So these, these next two verses that we're about to read become the core of this entire chapter. If you have a way to highlight, underline, whatever, you should do that because 17 and 18 are critical. So let's jump in to verse 17 and we're gonna see what happens next, what biblical faith actually looks like. Here's what it says. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. 
This is the first thing that we learn from this story. Biblical faith means that we trust in God's power, right? They say, listen, they look into the eyes of a powerful evil king that everyone else would fear and they say, we are not afraid of you because we know that our God is able to rescue us in this situation. It reminds me of Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, which says that Jesus looked up at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Biblical faith means that we trust in God's power. One of my one of my favorite things about working with students, especially middle schoolers, parents of middle schoolers, you, you'll know this, you can help me out, right? Sometimes they have an insane confidence in their ability to do the most ridiculous things. Like, hey, I bet that I could do 700 backflips even though I've never even tried one. And they just, they just believe that they could do it and I love it. One of the things that I like to do in those moments, it's probably unhealthy, I should probably stop, but I like to say, there's no way you could do that and watch as they try with everything in their power to prove me wrong, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh, I'm gonna do it now because you said that I can't. So about five years ago, when I was living in Arizona, we're part of a youth ministry there, and we, we threw this big event, this big hide-and-go-seek in the dark event. The idea was students are gonna come, they're on teams of four, and they're gonna go hide in different places around campus, and then our volunteer leaders are gonna go and they're gonna find them. The last team where everyone on the team has been found, they're gonna win some ridiculous prize like four oversized Snuggies or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is, right? So we, they're gonna win, they're gonna win. At the beginning of the night, this middle school boy walks up to me. He's probably in seventh grade. All the confidence in the world, just through the roof. And he says, dude, Andrew, you might as well just give me the prize now, I'm gonna win. Right? Like I'm, I'm totally gonna win this thing. And I'm like, dude, I do the thing. I go, look at all these people you really think that you're gonna win this? Come on, dude. And so he walks back and he's so confident, he's ready to go. We send all the students out to go hide. Our leaders go out and start finding them. And one by one, they find every student until we get to the end and there is one student missing. It's him. Dude, he backed it up. This is crazy, right? So our, our leaders go and they, they, again, they try to find him. They're searching everywhere and they cannot find him. Honestly, we start to get worried because we found 100 kids at this point and we can't find him. And there's like 20 people looking. <laughs> Something like, what did he do? Right, and so we, we go ask his teammates and we say, hey, where were you hiding? You're a team, like, where's the other guy? And so they tell us and we go and we look and we cannot find him anywhere. And at this point, I'm starting to feel guilty because I'm like, did I egg him on too much? And he like found a way to like jump in a car and drive it off or like, what, what just happened? Like, I'm, oh no, I'm starting to, to think the worst. And so we, we go back and we go, okay, kids, like you're gonna have to show us. We take his teammates, we say, show us where he was. We get to the room, we make a terrifying discovery. He's dead. Just kidding, that was a joke, that was a joke. <laughs> Someone over here just had a heart attack, I'm so sorry. Okay, you're good, you're good. It didn't, we did make a terrifying discovery, just not that terrifying, okay? Here's, here's what happened. We walked into the room with his teammates and they, uh, they say, here's where he was and the story becomes clear. Here's what happened. As they were, they were going in his desire to win, he convinced his teammates to stuff him into a cabinet, 
Like they physically shove him as hard as they can into this cabinet that's big enough for about two backpacks. And they squeeze him in here and they slam the door shut and they run away to go hide. And what they did not realize is that there was a child safety lock on the cabinet that he did not know how to open from the inside. So for the last half an hour, he's been stuffed into a cabinet that he can't get out of with no phone, like he's just stuck, right? And so immediately, again, we are terrified. We're freaked out, we're like, oh no, what are we about to see? So we run over and we can't even open the cabinet. So we break it open and he falls out onto the floor. He takes the deepest breath of his entire life. And his first words are, I won, told you. <laughs> I was like, what? How? He had no idea the situation that he, he thought he was good. He, just, he was good. That night, his confidence in himself was through the roof. And boy, did he back it up, right? But as Christians, when you and I are in the midst of difficult situations, right? When you and I are in those pressure-packed situations, when it feels like we're facing the fire, when there are things in our lives that are, feel so out of our control. It's not ourselves that we trust in to see us through it. Biblical faith means that we believe in, we trust in the power of God. If you believe that the first 10 words of the Bible are true, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then there is no obstacle there is no situation, there is no person, there is no storm, there is no fire that you will ever face that is beyond the power of God. Biblical faith means that we trust in the power of God. He is able to do all things. All right, so let's jump back into the story. This time we're gonna read verse 17 and 18 and we're gonna see how it ties this all together. Here's what it says. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <laughs> Talk about resolve, right? Here we begin to see that biblical faith doesn't mean that we trust, just mean that we trust in God's power. Biblical faith also means that we trust in God's plan, right? They, they look into the eyes of an evil king and they say, we know that our God could save us. But we also know that just because he can save us doesn't mean that he will. It's a tough pill to swallow, right? He, he could save us, but he might not. And it does not change their response at all, right? This is where we we encounter, maybe you've uh, encountered a misconception or misunderstanding about faith. You might encounter this in your life. There are those that believe that if you just have enough faith, God will do anything that you want him to do, right? And there are verses in the Bible that when taken out of context, you have not because you ask not, make it seem like if you just believe enough, God will do anything that you want him to do. But that is absolutely not what those verses are saying when taken in the right context. Here, what we see that biblical faith does in these verses is it trusts that God is able, but it also trusts in God's plan over our desire. What do they say? They say, we know that our God could save us. Boy, do we want that to be the case. <laughs> 
But we also know that he might not. And even if he doesn't, we will not worship your God. How in the world are they able to say that? They can say it because the object of their faith was not the outcome of God's plan. The object of their faith was the plan itself. Right? Or maybe I, could, maybe I could say it this way. Right? If, the, if the ups and downs of my life, right? The, the high moments when everything is awesome and the low moments when everything is not awesome, right? If the, the highs and lows of my life cause my faith in God to waver, it means that my faith isn't in God. It's in my ability to control the power of God, to control the plan of God, right? Think about it. If I say, if I believe enough, God will do anything that I want him to do, I'm the controlling factor in that situation, if I believe in, if I just have enough faith, God will do, right? I'm the one in charge. Biblical faith doesn't say that. Biblical faith says, God, I don't want that power, right? I, you're the one who's perfect. You're the one who's good. You're the one who's holy. And I'm gonna choose to trust your plan, right? This is something that we all wrestle with, right? It's part of even the sanctification of our faith. Here's what I mean by that. We, as you and I go through all of these difficult moments in life when things are out of control, they're really all just opportunities for us to over and over and over again grow in our ability to say, God, I'm gonna trust your plan, right? We still hope for the best. We still face a reasonable amount of disappointment when it doesn't go, the way that we wanted it to go. But at the end of the day, we choose, God, I'm going to trust your plan. Heard a, heard a pastor say it this way once and it jumped out to me. He said, faith understands the perfection of God's plan and trust the love that prepares it so carefully. <laughs> so am I saying that we, that we don't pray? I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. No, we absolutely should pray. God's word tells us that we should make our requests known to him. As a church, we believe that God answers prayer. We believe that God hears us when we pray. We believe that prayer is one of the ways that we grow in our relationship with God. But when we pray, we choose to be open-handed people with our prayers. Right? If I'm closed-handed with my prayer, it sounds something like this. God, do this and if you don't do this, it means that you're not God, right? If you don't do this, it means that you're not good. Do this. An open-handed prayer says, God, here's what I want in this situation. God, you know what I want. But what I want the most is your plan. Right? Here, here in these, these two verses, we get the entire big idea of this chapter. Here it is. As Christians, we choose to believe and obey the first commandment, even if it kills us. And it may. This, this morning, think about it, Veterans Day weekend, we are so thankful for the men and women of our church, the men and women of our country who have served and sacrificed so faithfully so that you and I don't have to wake up in a country where we face the fiery furnace just to say that we're Christian, right? And we're, we're so thankful. But also... Now, just as much as back then, just as much as all those years ago, God's people will always face idols. 
Today, we might say that an idol is a person or a thing that you, that you think about the most or obsessed with the most, the thing that determines the activity of your life the most. It is the thing that is choosing what you do and when you do it, right? John Calvin once said that the human mind is a factory of idols. That means that we don't need Nebuchadnezzar to build a statue to have an idol, right? We could do it a hundred times before breakfast. Think about it. What do we, what do we idolize, right? We idolize people. We let other people call the shots in our lives. We, we idolize teams. We idolize technology. We idolize money. And maybe most of all, just be honest, we idolize ourselves, right? Watch what happens in verse 19 when we are obedient to our idols. Watch what happens. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Pay attention to those mighty men. Right, what happens to the mighty men? Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see what happened to the people who were obedient to Nebuchadnezzar? Right, what did he say? The whole premise of this chapter, the whole story is, if you bow down to me, you will live. It's ironic that the only people who will die in this story, spoiler alert, are the people who chose to be obedient to the idol, right? They bowed down to their idol. What, what they should have gotten was the life that he promised them. But instead, their obedience is repaid by being burned alive. Their obedience is repaid by the furnace. Isn't it interesting that you and I have, we've experienced this same thing as they did, all right? We, we've all, think about it for a second, right? Think about the things that we have idolized and how, how they go wrong, right? The, the substance that we get hooked on, the career that we chase, the feeling that we obsess over, the goal that we pursue, right? Right now, I'm, I said we're talking to students on Sunday nights about dating and relationships, and I've seen hundreds of students in my 13 years in student ministry, I've seen hundreds of them make an idol out of a relationship where they push everything aside for one person. The people, the parents got everything aside for this relationship. Why, why do we do that? Well, because our idols, they promise us fun, right? They promise us freedom, they promise us happiness. They promise us fulfillment. They promise us meaning. Yet all they seem to deliver in the end are emptiness, frustration, lack of fulfillment, guilt, pain, regret. Because there is only one God who can deliver on his promises. Right? There is only one God who will never fail you. And he interjects himself into the story right here in verse 23. Here's what it says. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, wait a second, did we not put three men in the fire? 
They answered the king and said, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. (laughs) This is an exciting verse for us as believers, right? The appearance of the fourth. Was it, was it an angel in the fire? Was it the pre-incarnate Christ in the fire? We don't know. We know that God was with them in the fire. Here's, here's what we do know, right? God doesn't always save us from the fire, but he does promise to always be with us in it, right? You, you catch that in their story? I guarantee you, if given the opportunity to pray, they would have prayed this. God, please not the fire. <laughs> just shut it off. That'd be great. Or if like he could forget our names and we could just run away and everything would be fine. Like anything but the fire. God didn't save them from the fire, but he was waiting for them when they got there. Right? This is one of, the, this is, this is the outlandish nature of the gospel. Just, just track with me here for just a second, right? We, we just finished a series in Revelation. Right? And, and based on their claims alone this morning, King Nebuchadnezzar and God, they're actually pretty similar. In this story, God and King Nebuchadnezzar are not all that different. Right? Think about it. Here, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you do not bow to me, if you do not obey me, you will face the fire. I think it was, I think it was five weeks ago now, we talked about Revelation chapter 20, where God says, Anyone who has not entered into relationship with me on the day of judgment will be cast into the fire. Right? So the base of their claims is the same. Disobey me, face the fire. It's not all that different. Watch this. Watch this. This is, this is the, the beautiful part of the gospel. Think about it. King Nebuchadnezzar says, if you disobey me, you'll get the fire. <laughs> so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they disobey. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar's response is terrifying. His face changes color because he's so filled with rage as they refuse to bow, and he screams out, throw them in the fire. Let him be burned. When you and I disobey, God said, we, di- we disobey. When you and I deserve death, God said, pause, time out. How about I go instead? <laughs> when you and I deserve the fire, Jesus said, put me in, put me in instead, right? Just, just follow me and be in a relationship with me and walk with me daily. And when we deserve the fire, what we get is life instead. (laughs) That's our God. That's the God that showed up in the fire waiting for them. Like how in the world do we respond to stories like this one? Right, to stories like the one here in Daniel chapter three. First, I think, I think our first response is to enter in to a relationship with Jesus, right? To make the decision to follow Jesus. 
As Dean talked about last week, we're watching something really interesting happen with Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what we're watching. We're seeing with Nebuchadnezzar that there's a huge difference between conviction and conversion. Right? In, in Daniel chapter 1, there's a problem. God solves it, and Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the true God. In Daniel chapter 2, there's a problem. God solves it, and again, Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the true God. Here, in chapter 3, he tries to kill them for it. And at the end of the, the story, as they're pulled out of the fire, it says that Nebuchadnezzar says, again, your God is the true God. Again, a couple chapters from now, he's going to try to kill him again. What's happening? See, Nebuchadnezzar has experienced conviction. He's quick to say, your God is God. But he hasn't experienced conversion, right? Conviction says, your God is God. Conversion says, your God is my God. And I will believe and I will obey even if it kills me. Maybe that's... Maybe that's been your story for a while now. Right? Maybe you've experienced conviction. You believe that there is a God. Maybe you say your God is God. You still struggle. You still bow down to idols and live, struggle, wrestle in sin. Today you have the opportunity to move from conviction to conversion. Here, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. There has never been somebody in your entire life, nor there will, will there ever be someone in your entire life that loves you the way that God loves you. There will never be a person in your entire life that will sacrifice for you the way that God has sacrificed for you and for me. So you could make today, today you can make the decision to begin a relationship with him. I like to tell students this all the time. Here's what I know. You could have been alive for 77 years. You could have been alive for thousands of days and you still, not have, ex you still have not experienced the best part of what it means to be human if you have not entered into a relationship with the God of the universe. And today could be that day for you. So you begin a relationship with him, right? And then once we've done that, once we've begun a relationship with God, what do we, what do, we do next? Well, we, when we encounter situations in our lives where everything seems out of control and it's the fire moment, the lightning storm moment, the pressure-packed moment where we're not sure how things are gonna go, when we're put in a situation where it feels like we're being told, put your whatever above God. Make an idol. We choose to trust in the power of God to see us through it. We choose to trust in the plan of God, and we choose to live in submission to God. Let me, let me pray for you this morning. God, we are so thankful for how you love us, how you choose us, God, I am so thankful this morning that when I deserve the fire, you go instead. God, let us not be so caught up in the motions and in the day-to-day -day life that we miss that. That we miss out on the beauty of your sacrifice for us. 
We miss out on the truth that time after time and we fail and we fail and we fail, you just keep saying, I'll go instead. Put me in instead. God, I pray for those in this room this morning that maybe they don't have a relationship with you, that today they would pray out, God, would you, would you forgive me? God, I want a relationship with you. God, would you show them the best part of what it means to be human, a relationship with you. Lord, I lift up everybody in the room this morning who's walking through something, right? Lord, we know that after every problem is solved, the next one comes. And I pray that no matter how big the problem we face this morning, no matter the, the uncertainty, no matter how high the mountain seems, that you would empower us. Give us the strength to trust in your strength. Give us the faith like Daniel. Give us the faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that would say, God, I'm gonna trust in your plan. Today, I choose your plan. God, we're so humbled. We love you so much. God, I love you so much. Pray these things in your name. Amen.